I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're all absolutely biased. That should not be too much of a shock, should it? And I'm not talking about in that sense of, am I biased against people who went to Texas A&M University? I I absolutely am. There's no question I am. But I'm not talking about that. Nor am I talking about some sort of DNI sense of bias where I might say, I don't care for a particular person of a particular skin tone or a sexuality or coming from a Texas A&M University. Okay, I, I really, that last one, it's true. And in fact, I was a badger, an honorary badger. I worked at the University of Wisconsin Alumni Association for a couple of years, and they made me an honorary badger, and I married a badger, and thus, I have to adopt the bias against people from Michigan State. So, sorry, Tim, sorry, Allison, but it's true. I, it's just a household rule. I have to dislike people from those schools, even though I like you immensely. Anyway, bias, that's not the bias I'm talking about. The bias we're talking about is cognitive bias. And at this point, many of you have already turned off this podcast. <laughs> And I don't want you to. I want you to think about this. Yes, this could be a very heady conversation, but we have a question from uh, my favorite uh, podcast fan. He's, I think at this point, he has asked the most number of questions for this podcast to answer. So Jason Kent Crowell, thank you so much. His question was about cognitive bias. And, you know, he's on a bit of a, he says, a wild goose chase because there's so much to digest. And there absolutely is. And this is a fairly heady subject, not to put too much of a pun to it, but The question is, how can you think through how to avoid pitfalls of our own bias, but how do you use bias in talent attraction? And that is the question we're going to, you know, bounce around today. Do I have all the answers? (laughs) Of course not. Don't be silly. That's not what we do here. We just start to think about it. And I want to kind of bring up some ideas, and I think there's a lot of opportunity within this question. So, Jason, thank you again for the question. I love it. And we're going to talk about cognitive biases when we get back. Welcome to the TalentCast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis, and I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing, and I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing? I'm James Ellis, as always. Thank you so much for listening. I'm recording today from Chicago because I never leave this house and nor do many of people I know. And here we are. That's just how it is. So uh, housekeeping, I've got two webinars coming up. I've got one with ATAP. I got one with Good Hire. Uh, so I'll put links in the show notes and all that stuff. Thank you all, everyone who bought the book and posted the book and, and you know shared pictures of the book. If you would do me the kindest favor of reviewing the book or just 
dropping some stars on Amazon, honestly, just the stars enough would be super helpful. That's the sort of thing that kind of gets it going and gets Amazon to say, oh, this is a useful book and people like it and people are enjoying it and it doesn't look like I'm paying for a bunch of people from some country I can barely pronounce to come in and spam the heck out of it because that's just deeply unethical. Anyway, that is what's going on there. I should have some other news next week about other stuff generally, but I have two conversations scheduled and I feel pretty confident about announcing them right now. I'm going to talk to Holland McHugh over at Delta and I have... I have long, long talked about Delta as one of my two favorite employer brand examples. The other being Spotify, even though they're very, 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 very different. But Delta is fantastic because of how well integrated its employer brand is to all the other parts of the brand. I think she and the team do an amazing job, and we're going to dive into the nuts and bolts of how she's made that work. The other conversation I have scheduled, and I have it scheduled, that doesn't mean it's going to happen and hasn't happened yet, but Chiru Malhotra, uh, one of my favorite smart people, is going to spend an hour with me and we're going to chat. And honestly, <laughs> I don't think we've ever had the, the the pleasure of talking to each other where it wasn't a webinar. So this is going to be fun where, yes, it's going to be recorded as a podcast, but you've met me and you know how I roll. It's not going to be an interview. I, I'm looking forward to a really fun conversation. She knows her stuff. There I said that. There I just avoided some sort of parental issue in case Connor is listening, who I believe is now 12. Anyway, let's talk about cognitive biases. So what the hell is a cognitive bias? Okay, so in a nutshell, and there are lots of great books about this. I think Brain Rolls is pretty good about distilling this stuff down pretty fast, but there's a lot of good books on this idea. The idea is that simply put, he says laughingly, simply put is the brain is an amazing magical thing and it has, it's like a computer in that it's got a lot of processes in going along all the time, but not like a computer. It can actually program itself. It can actually say, hmm. So, you know, the, the, they say the, the best programmers in the world are lazy because they spot redundancies and they spot things that happen uh, repetitively and they program their way around it so they never have to do it again. Brains are kind of like that. And brains are always looking for shortcuts. I, somewhere there's a number that says what percentage of your body's caloric burn is a function of how much you're thinking, right? That your brain, more so than say all the muscles in your body, burn a lot of heat and burn a lot of calories because what your brain does is very, very, very hard. Which is cool. Uh, so if you want to exercise, that's great, but also do a lot of thinking while you're doing it. That'll double the energy, I think. But that Please do not take that on faith. Go look that one up. Anyway, <laughs> but as such, your brain is always looking for shortcuts. And what happens is, is your brain creates this heuristics, that is, the rules of thumb that, hey, that's usually true, so we're going to say that it's pretty much always true. Or we're going to bake it into your brain that when you see this kind of pattern, the answer is always B, the answer is always X, the answer is always this. That way your brain is free to spend time watching Netflix and seeing what's happening on Ozark or playing a little video game on your phone or seeing what the person in chief, the Twitterer in chief has said today. Um, you know, you, your brain wants to say, hey, let's just offload some of that heavy duty thinking so that you can focus on the stuff that is more useful. That, of course, being a relative term. Now, of course, this comes from this idea that as we've evolved, the lizard brain and all that good stuff has said, if you identify certain kind of patterns in the reeds, in the, in the grasses, that might be a saber-toothed tiger. 
that's a pattern to recognize. And so your brain is perpetually looking for those patterns. Patterns like that kind of show up in things like fight or flight. It comes up with expectations. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens. And one of the things that happen is as human beings have evolved into modern things, there's these legacy thought processes and patterns happening in, your, in the background that lead to this concept of cognitive biases. Like I said, it's not bias in that I like person A over person B because they're a certain skin tone or what have you. It's simply that your brain is biased to accept things that have already you've already built a pattern for. So what are we talking about? Well, here's a simple one. You are looking through candidates and you've got five candidates in front of you. What commonly happens is the first person you look at sets the benchmark and you are looking through everybody else through the lens of are they better than the first one or not. And in fact, what happens based on the skills of the first person, what they bring to the table, you will actually, that will actually shift your perception of what you're looking for in the next four people. That's called anchoring bias. The first piece of information you have is your baseline for comparison and it shapes how you look at the comparison. Uh, another one, I got a list here that there's a whole lot of lists, but there's a, there's a good one. You know, we've talked, I think I've mentioned this in the podcast before. I don't think it has a name, but let's say you decide you need to buy a car and you've decided what you need to buy is a, I don't know, pick a Lincoln Navigator or a Kia Fiesta or Festiva or whatever the heck it is. Who cares? You decide, I think I'm considering buying this car. Suddenly, as you go through your day-to-day process, you'll start to notice that car more and more and more. It is confirmation bias. And it's your, not me actually, that's not confirmation bias. There's an, it's another version of cognitive bias. And now I'm blanking what the name is. But as you start to see it, because your brain says, I'm looking for these patterns now, you've actually kind of programmed your brain to say, I'm thinking about this car. Therefore, your brain will say, there's that thing you're looking for. There's that thing you're looking for. There's that thing you're looking for. And the day before you said, I'm going to buy that car, your brain didn't know to look for them. And thus they went past you all day long and you didn't even notice it. But now that you've decided to look for it, you start to see it. Now, Why in the hell am I talking about cognitive biases? Well, there's a couple of patterns in that. And I think Jason doesn't really spell out what exactly he's trying to solve for, but I have a couple of guesses. First off, if you're developing your employer brand, you are one person. Now, let's pretend you know what you're doing and you know how to leverage some data and you've got data that helps you kind of understand the bigger picture so it's not just your perception trying to figure out what is our brand, what we're all about. If you are the single person, you're a focus group of one and your own internal cognitive biases will shape how you perceive the company. For example, if you start to interview people, the anchoring bias says the first interview you have will have an outsized impact on how you see the brand relative to, say, the last one. The bandwagon effect might say you are starting to, or actually the confirmation bias says if you interview 10 people after you've heard the same pattern two or three times, you're now going to start to listen for that pattern and actually ignore the stuff that discounts that pattern. So, for example, if you're interviewing 10 leaders and the first three leaders talked about you are focused on innovation, you might think, ah, I think I'm starting to focus in on this idea of innovation as part of the employer brand and ignore the fact that three people in the next seven interviews say, look, we talk about innovation, but we really don't mean it because of bah, 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 bah. You are going to, your brain is looking for confirmation of a pattern and thus to say, yep, I was right, right? That's also one of the other things the brain likes. The brain likes to be right because it gets a a serotonin hit when it feels like it's done something right. (laughs) 
<laughs> Someone has a T-shirt somewhere that says serotonin and um, oh gosh, what's the other one? What's the other chemical that your brain gives off when you're happy? It doesn't matter. You know what I'm talking about. It was these are literally the only things that make me happy because it's true. Everything else is there to trigger the serotonin and the other you know neurochemicals to say ah oh, you feel good and confirmation of your own rightness triggers that hard, right? The bandwagon effect says the more you see it, the more it must be true. It's a herd mentality group think kind of thing. You've got availability bias. Look, if you can only talk to 10 leaders, but not all of them, you're going to overstate the value of their opinions simply because they were available to you. Um, You've got, uh, let's see, what else? The halo effect, which is deeply important for what we do. So if someone is nice to you and there is lots of good things about them, you will overstate their own value and overstate their own importance relative to your research. Their, their niceness creates kind of a halo effect and trickles out into the rest of the stuff you're doing. There's zero risk bias where you say, ah, if I have a choice between a no risk, some reward and a high risk, super high reward, I am going to go towards the low, zero risk risk because I have uh, risk avoidance issues, right? I'm trying to avoid, and I think human brains are designed to avoid loss. It's called loss aversion. They're designed to try and avoid that. So what they do is they pick the less risky option, which may have something to do with why so many employer brand statements are so boring and so similar. Rather than say, let's shoot for the moon, let's swing for the fences, let's come up with a bigger metaphor that, than that, let us go with something simple and direct that we can say, okay, we at least live up to and let's just put a nice little marketing bow on it to make it really kind of sing or be interesting. Simple as I know. There's the ostrich effect where you try to avoid bad news or anything that might be negative and that doesn't trickle into your own research. There's the recency effect where the thing that happened most recent is weighted much more heavily than the stuff you're already getting. So again, if you're talking to a lot of people and there is a news item about innovation, you'll also, you, again, you're gonna be more over-focused on innovation. So if you're designing your EVP, it's very easy to be swayed by biases. Even if you're using data, data is only as good as the person who uses it, how well it's collected, and how well it's interpreted. Data is a very powerful tool, but data by itself is just a stack of numbers on a spreadsheet that mean nothing. Until you look at it, until you sort of see through your own biases and start to realize, oh, you know what? I am guilty of a, of a confirmation bias. I am guilty of an availability bias. I am, uh, see here, I was uh, guilty of anchoring biases. That's just human nature. The trick, of course, is if you understand that it's human nature, you can start to counteract some of those ideas. You can say, look, if I'm going to see a series of things, know that the anchoring bias might be might be concerning, so do not overweight the first thing. And also the recency bias might say I might overweight the last thing, so do not just be cognizant of it. My favorite, though, and I think the most common is confirmation bias. And I think you see this in a lot of different aspects of what we do. Employee, you know, employer brand obviously is a big part of it. So for example, if you walk in and you already have a sense of the reason why I chose this job to run the employer brand of this company is because of A, B, and C, I'm going to be much more you know, primed to listen for other people saying ABC and not maybe notice that everybody's talking about X, Y, and Z. That is confirmation bias. It's, it, it's, it's supporting my own internal biases of what I think the answer is going to be. And again, it gives you that serotonin hit uh, that makes you feel good. That's concerning. 
And again, if you're trying to build an employer brand, the focus groups of focus group of one is is absolutely something you have to avoid. So how do you manage to avoid confirmation bias? Well, I think the confirmation bias is actually the easiest one of these things to identify and to defend against of all the things I've listed here. Um, you know, halo effect is tough because you want to believe nice people and honestly i think there's a we've talked about consumer brand halo impacting the employer brand i think that's valuable and i think it's complicated and i don't think um you can really separate it out from what the employer brand is but let's just start with confirmation bias so again if you think the brand is a b and c and you don't start to notice x y and z how do you fight it well the first way you do it is to flip it to say okay if I think it's, you know, you go through your research, go through your notes, collect all the stuff you want to collect, use your data, use your quantitative and qualitative data, do the, the voodoo that you do so well, right? Go and, and do it. Instead of immediately jumping to the solution, I, you know, I keep hearing this thing over and over again, I got to go do it. What you need to do is say, what did I miss? Am I guilty of confirmation bias? Am I missing the parts where people said, hey, that thing you think you believe is actually not true and here's why? Because they nobody ever says that like that because they don't know what's in your head mostly, but they don't want to, they, they don't, they only can speak from their own perspective. And it's very easy to say, yeah, but they're not a senior vice president, so they don't know as much. Or, oh yeah, they've only been here for two years, so they're, they're not as deeply embedded in this company. They don't understand the culture as well. It's very easy to dismiss those opinions because they disagree with your own b- beliefs, right? They're, you know, you're guilty of confirmation bias. Uh, so how do you fight against that? And as you start to say, what did I hear that directly discounts what I believe? If you go through all that research and you say, ah, oh, this company's all, all about A, B, and C, go through the research again and look for places where that's wrong. Now, there's a reason why that isn't just part of our normal process. One, we're all guilty of thinking we're the smartest people in the room, if not the smartest people in the room, that's certainly the smartest person doing this job at this moment, because we're probably the only one doing that job at that moment. Um, and you're like, well, you know, I'm just trying to skip to the he- skip to the, 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 the end of the book as fast as I can. I've got so many things to do. I've got so many pr- jobs and so many projects and so many tasks at hand. You know, if I can find some shortcuts, there's a trigger word right there. If I can find some shortcuts to getting to the right answer faster, I'd be crazy to not use them. And it's valid. It's completely valid, right? That is just the brain at work trying to conserve energy. But focus groups of one never really quite pan out. There are project managers, you know, ad infinitum who will tell you that the focus group of one is usually a good starting point, but it's not the whole Megillah. A good focus group of one is great for coming up with ideas, but it's not true to con- you know to actually prove those ideas are valid. So if you're a product manager and you say what this, I don't know what this air conditioner needs is a clock. That's the new function I'm going to add to this air conditioner. It's going to sell a million air conditioners. You know why? Because where I have an air conditioner. I don't have a clock and a clock would be very clumsy to add. So if I put a clock right on that air conditioner, it would be super useful to me. Let's go build that and then spend you know thousands and thousands of dollars building prototypes and decided to do it based on the confirmation bias that you want it so therefore everybody must want it you didn't do the process of okay let's expand the focus group of one to a focus group of 12 or 20 or 100 and say would you even want a clock on your air conditioner and to actually kind of dissuade that so again confirmation bias partly is to extend your perspective to say it may be true to me and it might be i might hear it from a couple other people but is it true on the wider stage? Is it true from a wider perspective? And the way you fight against it is to get that wider perspective and actually listen. 
A trick you could use, and this is not a endorsement, but it's certainly a tool that has worked and has worked for me, so I, I guess it is an endorsement, but I don't make any money from this, so who cares, is to record all your interviews. You know, if you're doing leadership interviews or focus groups or, you know, short kind of conversations with staff about why do you love to work here or whatever your process is, record them. I mean, let's be fair. We're all on video now anyway. It's super easy to record this stuff, and you can actually strip out the audio and dump it to a tool tool called otter.ai. It is a free tool um, with some caveats as to how many times you can use it, but why not take your audio, run it through a transcription tool like Otter, Otter AI, and go over the words. The way you listen is not the way you read, so consequently, you'll be able to kind of maybe absorb more information. Maybe you take your 10 interviews, dump them through Otter AI, and go back and word cloud it, and see if there are patterns that emerge that you didn't spot simply because you were looking for the A, B, and C and not looking for X, X Y, and Z. Word clouds and other tools like that are great ways to kind of manifest and illustrate or illuminate these patterns that are emerging that you might not notice. So from a confirmation bias, that's one way of simply saying is that, you know, how do I, you know, fight that? The, uh, you know, similar kind of vein for a lot of these is flip it around and say, is the opposite, could the opposite be true? If you are using anchoring bias and you say the first interview is the most important and you go back and say, what if that's wrong? What if the third interview is the most important? And you look at it very intentionally and look at that third interview saying, what is here that I'm not looking for? What is here that I'm not noticing? What is it here that I'm not valuing? The ability to flip it and see the converse situation is kind of one of those things that human beings can do, that animals can't do, uh, but we do it so infrequently. One of my favorite uh, podcasters, uh, uh, Ben Thompson, he talks about his favorite interview question was, what is an idea that you hold passionately to be true and explain your argument? And then when someone explains their argument, you say, great. But obviously the counter to that argument has a passionate argument as well. Can you describe that passionate argument and can you do, do it, you know, describe it as well as the argument for which you agree? And that's something the brain can do. We just choose not to because it's uncomfortable and because we might find out that our first instinct was wrong. And again, since when we find out that our first instinct was wrong, we don't get the serotonin hit, we're more inclined to ignore it and just say, I'm, I'm shortcutting my way to the end. The answer is the butler did it moving on except you're missing 17 steps halfway through this murder mystery about all the other people the butler didn't kill, um, but you know that you just skip to the end of the butler and you say, ah, the butler did it, so the butler must have done all of them. That's bias. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. So, I think, so from a confirmation bias and a lot of these other biases, the goal is to, one, identify that you are doing that bias, but also to kind of see how do you flip it around to say, how do I what is the opposite? What is the alternative? What is the converse of that idea? Jason's second half of the question was, how do we use this for our own advantage? And, you know, I'm, I'm all happy to help you manipulate people a little bit, you know, for the good of humanity, I guess, you know, let's not be jerks about it. Let's not be completely evil about it. But you want to present your argument, and let's be fair, it's a crowded world, it's a tough world, it's hard to get your, 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 your messages out there and to be heard, to be seen. You need to take every advantage you can get, and again, if you're being ethical, great, take advantage wherever you can find it. So how do you use biases to feel better and to increase the likelihood that someone will engage with you? Well, gosh, that's, that's interesting. First off, there is the halo effect. 
if you've got positive news about you and you share that positive news, even if it's about your consumer brand, there, you know, and there's an argument to be say that just because you won an award for best product, does that mean that working there is a lot of fun? No, there's no connection whatsoever. The best product might be designed by a deeply collaborative culture. The best product in the world might be designed by a deeply competitive or, uh, um, excuse me, opportunistic culture or sharky culture or a best, best idea wins culture where, you know, there's all sorts of different cultures that can spawn great ideas. So there's no correlation between having a great idea and what the culture was that, that created that idea. But if you see a good product, you feel better about the brand and you're more likely to project yourself into that brand and say, ah, these are all the things I want to see. One of the biases, choice, let's see, one make sure, yeah, choice supportive biases. Once a decision is made, people tend to overfocus on the benefits. So if you can get someone to make a quick choice to say, this is interesting, what information they start to absorb will be there to help them confirm what they see to be true and that this was a smart choice, that this is a good idea. So validating, you know, anything you can do to make them get to a fast choice and then feeding them more information that helps support that choice, super powerful. Um, let's see, trying to think of other ways you could use it. Bandwagon effect. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm being evil here. We've all heard the um, 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong or 50, or, or, you know, when I was in grad school, it was 50 million Hootie fans can't be wrong. And by the way, they could be, um, that the fact that it's popular doesn't mean that it's good, right? <laughs> Hootie, for those of you who don't remember the summer of 1995 or 96, there was a time in which there was so much dang Hootie and the Blowfish being played that radio stations would say, we're having a no Hootie weekend. I, this is, I was in North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, literally radio stations in the South were saying, you know what? We've played too much Hootie. We're literally going to throw our hands up and say, we're going to try not to play Hootie. And the trick was, right? If a band is popular, it's more likely to become more popular. If three of your friends like a band, there's a higher chance that you will like it than if no, none of your friends like this band. There is a bandwagon effect. How do you play this out? Well, gosh, you can subtly talk about, we get so many applications that here's what we'd like you to do before you apply. It helps us kind of understand. And what, what you're doing is you're putting out an idea, an argument that says, can you just make sure your cover letter is double checked? Even if there are things that you would want them, anybody to do, even if this is, there's nothing special about this, but hey, could you please spell check your cover letter? Make sure that your name, phone number, email is clearly written and we can see it, that it's identified in both the cover letter and resume. Just please double check that. We get so many resumes and when we find good people, we don't have time to track you down. You're already, you'd assume that every resume and cover letter would have a phone number, email address, and a name, right? So you're not asking for anything new. But the, 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 the point is saying, we get so many resumes. What that's saying is, everybody wants to work for us. And there we have the bandwagon effect. Well, gosh, if I'm reading that and I say, gosh, they have so many people apply, maybe I should apply. And there you go. That's how you leverage some of these cognitive biases to kind of connect the dot. Um, let's see. Look, I'm looking through. I, I literally have a list from Google of other places who have listed halo, uh, not just halo effects, but cognitive biases. Um, recency effect. <laughs> I think you actually see this played out. And I want to point out to, to Katrina Kibben, who is great at pointing out the obvious stupidity that we all kind of live through and just given a, huh, really? Uh, kind of moment. She talked about hot jobs. <laughs> How crazy that is. It, it's not a pizza. It's not sitting on the shelf cooling. The job is there. And, and honestly, it's a valid point. Jobs, in, especially in bigger companies, they literally have to be posted for X number of days before they even recruiters even look at those jobs. 
balance. They want to, they have rules about making sure that there's available time for people to apply, see that and apply before they go with the candidate they were probably going to apply for, you know, they were going to hire anyway, right? It's, you know, government agencies do this a lot where they have an internal candidate, but they can't just give it to it for fear of favoritism or nepotism or whatever kind of ism you're concerned about. And so they have rules about saying we have to have this job be public for two weeks before we actually, so we have someone to evaluate against. So yeah, we might still hire that person that we thought we wanted, but let's just make sure there wasn't somebody better. So the fact that it's a hot job means exactly nothing. Jobs don't decay like that. They don't cool like pizzas on a, on a windowsill or apple pies on a windowsill, depending on how you do that. The job is the job. And when it's open, it's open. And frankly, half the jobs that say they're opening, the recruiter stopped looking because they've found someone they want and they're moving forward with them anyway, right? So this concept of the recency effect is this idea of, hey, we just posted this job. If you apply first, you will have some sort of advantage, which like 60% of the time is probably total bullshit. Uh, sure, 40% of the time on a job that's super important that they're they're concerned, the recruiter's concerned that they're gonna have a hard time finding people, they might be checking that ATS every day or every couple hours to see who's applied to see if anybody interesting because they know the candidate is gonna turn around fast and so they wanna jump on a great candidate immediately. So there's a recency effect that you can kind of leverage. You can risk, uh, you can do a zero risk bias to say, look, and I think LinkedIn did this, you know, when they did their whole uh, lead generation tool to say, look, you don't want to be harassed by recruiters all day long. So I get it. Don't send us your resume. Don't send us your your personal information or your referrals or anything like that. Just give us your name and your, your, your LinkedIn account. We'll take a look and see if this would be a useful fit. And we'll, you know, it's, it's zero risk to you to do this thing. In fact, there's no time involved. You just click this button and it just gives us your LinkedIn profile to say you might be interested, but you know, hey, let's not commit to anything. There's a zero risk bias right there. People say, okay, sure. What the heck? Um, oh, here's a good one. In-group preference bias, that people want to be part of a brand bandwagon. If you are, um, you are, you're in a team of five people and they all do something, you are more likely to want to do that thing too. If everybody in the sales team gets up in the morning and they read a certain blog and they all drink the bulletproof coffee or whatever the heck, chances are you're going to engage too. So you might leverage some of those traits to say, these are the kinds of people we apply and therefore who, who apply and who are successful here. And then when you put that out there and if I'm like that and I see it, I'll be like, wow, that sounds like exactly the kind of place I want to work for. So leveraging the in-group preference bias as a means to communicate the message outward, that's a great way of kind of uh, taking advantage of. Um, you know, so there are lots of ways because the truth is humans are messy, right? There are, humans are incredibly complicated. We like what we like. We don't always know why. We're not particularly rational, no matter how we say we are rational. Uh, there's plenty of evidence for that. I'm not going to get into that. But a lot of that lack of rationality comes from these biases. There are these patterns that we've embedded since, you know, time began and we were walking the plains that we've said, this is what keeps us sane. And this is what's allowing us to change the cognitive load so we can focus on things that matter more to us. If you can pay attention to them, one, you can make sure you don't fall victim to your own cognitive biases. But two, how do you leverage them to gain more attraction? And marketers love to talk about cognitive biases because it is. It's a shortcut past all the, the shields and defenses a person might have against marketing and co commercials to immediately jump the fence and say, ah, here's where your brain is kind of absorbing information at a certain level. Let me start planting seeds here where the ground is far more fertile. The marketers do this all the time. So there's no reason why you shouldn't too. 
So obviously, if you just Google cognitive bias, blah, 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 blah. If you just Google cognitive biases, there are many. And I think actually the images is, there's, there's a great one that has, um, if you do cognitive bias codex, codex, there are a lot of biases to see, and there it's 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 a really fascinating thing. Um, everything from you know form generalities to when we we notice things have changed that we're trying to manage the too much information kind of situation. You know, there's a lot of information being thrown at us that our brain is trying to manage. That's that's really where these biases come from. They're just managing modern life, and so if you can find ways to take advantage of it, you should absolutely do it. Hashtag do it uh, ethically, do it responsibility, don't be a jerk, et cetera, et cetera. So Jason, thanks so much for the question. Fantastic. If you have a question, I'm probably going to talk to to Chiru and uh, <laughs> and um, Holland next, but I will get to your question as soon as you as soon as I can. So if you want to find me on LinkedIn, it, it's easy to find me on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me on Twitter. Just find me that the, the War for Talent. Ask me the question. I'd love to hear it. Maybe it ends up on the show. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. This has been an episode of The Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple of ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter, at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn, just say hello or... Let's just talk. That's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I'd pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me. Let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.